Kenny Aronoff is a name best known to readers of liner notes, but if you've turned on a rock radio station in the last 35 years, then chances are good you've heard his distinctive drum sound. Sales of the records on which he's appeared have topped 300 million. He has recorded and toured with everyone from Bob Dylan to Celine Dion, Bon Jovi to B.B. King, Smashing Pumpkins to Iggy Pop. And for more than 30 years, from his music school days through his work with John Mellencamp and beyond, Bloomington was his home base. Last weekend was a homecoming for Aronoff, who brought with him a new memoir, Sex, Drums, Rock and Roll, The Hardest-Hitting Man in Show Business, and a one-man show based on the book. Prior to his stop at the Buskirk Chumley Theater, he sat down with WFIU's John Bailey to discuss his circuitous path to renown. So you grew up in Stockbridge, Mass. Yes, I did. Very unique place. Was there a pivotal moment for you growing up when you just said, yes, I, I have to be a percussionist, I have to be a drummer? Well, uh, when I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, I was 11 years old. You know, back then there was nothing to watch on TV. We had like a black and white RCA TV with the, those rabbit ears. So me and my brother and sister spent most of the time outside playing. And one day my mom, you know, screamed at us, you got to come into the family room. So I thought I was in trouble, typical, you know. And so I went in there thinking I'm going to get a lecture. And the Beatles were on the TV. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. This was rock and roll. This was a kid's music. This was the beginning of post-World War II. The world was going from black and white to color. I'd seen a lot of jazz, like Dave Bubeck, so I saw Joe Morello, but now I'm looking at that same drum kit, but now I'm seeing it in a whole different light. And Ringo's playing it. And the girls are going crazy, and that's when I went, Call the Beatles, I want to be in a rock band. So she obviously didn't call the Beatles up, so I started my own band. A little, I was 11 years old, a little teeny, had snares on me and a cymbal. You land in the heartland uh, at the age of 19. Yeah. Probably never spent much time in the Midwest in your life. <laughs> Everybody back east was like, what the heck are you doing there? You going to milk some cows? When you were at IU studying in the School of Music, what did you expect would happen to you next? What I should have been thinking 100% was, I'm studying something to get what? And what I was studying was to get into a symphony orchestra. That's kind of really what you're focusing on. Uh, and I did. Was that what you wanted? No. I didn't ask myself that question enough. When I finally got the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra gig from George Gaber and I got the Quito Ecuador Symphony Orchestra, it blew me away when I said no. I was in shock. And I was thinking, I'd spent money that my parents uh, invested in my education for five years, not to mention the lessons before and uh, seven years of hard work. And all of a sudden I say no, and I wanted, I still wanted to be in the Beatles. And if that was the case, why wasn't I studying drum set? And I started studying drum set, and I started practicing eight hours a day again at home and realized I'd rather play in a club making $75 a night than be in Israel or Quito Ecuador in symphony orchestras. And it was scary, man. And after about a year, a bunch of guys talked me into coming to Bloomington. And we moved into this house that we called the Roach Motel. 
the goal was to get a record deal and go on tour and be rock stars like the Beatles. After three years, that didn't happen. Now I'm up to four years now of investing in my new goal. I was full on, and it wasn't just rock and roll. It was kind of everything from Steely Dan to Gino Vanelli to to uh, fusion music, you know, Mahavishnu Orchestra. I mean, I was exploring every type of music, uh, jazz still, playing jazz, possible on the drum set. How did you make the transition from Gino Vanelli and Steely Dan covers to this guy named John Cougar? Well, um, I was going to go audition for Lou Rawls in L.A. I went out there. That wasn't the right gig for me. And I only had two days notice, so I wasn't really prepared. But I was eating lunch at the Dow restaurant up there on 10th. And I was eating, and I remember thinking, man, I was about to get out, and I had kind of indigestion. I was like, man, sit down, chill out. Had I not done that, I wouldn't have bumped into this girl, Ruthie Allen, who said that, did you hear about, you know, this guy Johnny Cougar, you know, he just fired his drummer, and I started thinking, Johnny Cougar. And I went, wait a minute, he's making records towards this is exactly what I've been trying to do. And I went outside and went to the payphone, called Mike Wanchek up and said, you know, I'd like to audition. And he said, call him back in two weeks. And in two weeks, he said, yeah, John had checked me out. You know, everyone said I was the guy to call in Bloomington. So I started practicing six, eight hours a day again, memorized everything. And I realized that every, the drumming and the style of music was way more straight ahead than what I'd been doing. It was a different language. I won the audition, but... It took me about two years to catch up and understand what the language was. And it only was until like a couple of years ago that I really answered a big question, which is what is the purpose of a drummer for an artist like John Mellencamp? Well, the obvious stuff is keeping time, keeping a beat, making it feel good. But the real purpose, the big picture of me was to get his song on the radio to be number one. Mellencamp's next album was your first chance. It was American Fool, and it yielded what became the biggest hit single that John Mellencamp surely will ever have, Jack and Diane. And it's, it's a remarkable song because it strikes me as an inversion of the standard rock band arrangement. You've got these kind of stripped down acoustic verses, and then you've got almost the full band coming in, the full band except for the drum kit. You know, you don't hear the full kit at all until you hear the full kit by itself with this classic rock and roll iconic air drums moment, a solo of yours. How did that whole thing come together? Well, I was fighting for my life. When John wrote that song, we, you know, once again, I came up with a beat, but we all came up with simple parts, but we didn't know how to arrange or develop a song yet. We were still young. We knew this was a great song, but we didn't know what to do with it. We got in the studio, we started experimenting, and we realized we really didn't know what to do with it, and the song was off the record. And next door, the Bee Gees were recording. This is at Criteria Studios in, in Miami. And John kept hearing this, like, drum machine, you know, that they were playing to. And it was this Lynn one. So John said, you know, basically the producer, Don Game and co-producer, came in with this thing one day and we, to mess around with it, I was like insulted that something would replace a real drummer. You know, back then, drum machines weren't that big and sequencing wasn't that big. So I was offended, but I grabbed the thing and I programmed it. I took all my, the beats I was playing, the kick drum with my regular part was now floor tom, hi-hat now became tambourine on the Lynn one and 
hand claps instead of back beats on the snare drum. And I programmed soon, and then I went in the, in the lounge and played pool, all bummed out I was being replaced by a drum machine. But at some point, they called me, you know, John called me, says, Aaron, I need a drum solo. I'm like, a drum solo on a ballad? And I'm thinking, like, what would Buddy Rich say? You know, he'd say, this song's a piece of crap. Get rid of it. You know, I ain't soloing on this thing. So we spend a whole day getting drum sounds because drums were put in vocal booths back then. You know, tight drum sounds. You didn't, we put the drums, John wanted the drums big and loud. He'd want them in a big room. And it took all day trying to figure out where to put the mics and it did 15 feet, 10 feet, 20 feet, different heights to get the sound. Then it was time for the solo. And I just started by boom, blam, you know, my entrance. because so I was learning that John liked things simple and right to the point. And I stopped at that, and they all were like, yeah, that's awesome. They were in the control room, thumbs up. But then when I started to solo and expand on it, they didn't like it. Next thing you know, I'm in the control room, and uh, everyone's trying to tell me what to do. And now, next thing I know, I'm walking back to the drum set going, you've got 25 feet to save your career. And two guys have been fired already on that record. And John and I had gone almost fist to fist, you know, at one point, because we were all just frustrated. And... I'm walking back and eventually I get to the kit and I'm like, what are you going to play, dude? You know. And what I did was I took the rhythm that I had programmed and I don't, once again, I don't know how, why I came up with this idea. Maybe it was my training here or studying with those drum set teachers, but I just decided I'd take the same rhythm I was playing but just move it over by one eighth note off of one. So it'd be like, boom, blam, one, uh, uh, uh. It was displaced a little bit weird, but a, fill, a rhythm you'd heard but just displaced a little bit, which made it a little bit unique. And then I went down, I'd gone off the drums, and John screams, hit a cymbal, so I go, Bugatgu. So I got boom, blam, ooh, 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 down. And then I went, I'm going down the toms. I admit I borrowed Phil Collins' Phil, do, 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 do. And then I ran out of toms. So I went back, snare Tom Tom, and did a triplet feel. Do, 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 blah, blah, boom, boom. One, two, three, one. And um, next thing you know, that you know they're all loving it, and John's saying keep grooving, and we went back and forth. I was playing all sixteenth notes on the hi hat, and then beat it, and then finally we I do no hi hat, then I do hi hat and just three and it, which is boom, so let it rock, so let it roll, let it vibe out. And that was it, man. Um, old Jed was a millionaire, meaning John. That was WFIU's John Bailey with legendary rock drummer and longtime Hoosier Kenny Aronoff. Listen in for the full conversation in a few weeks on WFIU's Profiles. Life goes on, long after the 
about Jack and Diane Two American kids doing the best they can 